In Canada, check out Kelly and Company right from your TV. Listen on channel 555 for SaskTel subscribers. And Shaw Cable, channel 825. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Kelly McDonald here with Rumya Booth and happy Tuesday, folks. So, Kels, we know with the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, we lost a lot. But what we really want to talk about right now is her love for pets, and we lost that. So let's bring on Dr. Danielle Jonkind for more of this. The human-animal bond plays such an important role in people's lives, and as a veterinarian, it's my privilege to help keep those bonds strong and healthy. I'm Dr. Danielle Jonkind, and welcome to Ask a Veterinarian. The late queen really had a passion that many of us can relate to, actually. She loved her pets, and her corgis were very well-known members of her household. So maybe we can argue that they were an iconic feature of her personal life that had many or very little to do with her uh, being queen. So what do we know about the corgi breed is the question here. Um, For me, not much, but we want to know about the queen's corgis and you Dr. Daniel Jonkind, have done all the research and you've brought the goods to the table. So what can you tell us about the corgi breed to begin with? (laughs) Well, actually, there are um, two related but distinct types of corgis. Mm -hmm. Um, There are the Pembroke Welsh corgis and the Cardigan Welsh corgis. And Queen Elizabeth was apparently noted for her affection for the Pembroke uh, breed, which have somewhat pointier ears and shorter tails than the cardigans do. And I was actually able to find some information on the history of the breed um, on the American Kennel Club website. And according to them, in the medieval era, um, monarchs all over the globe were actively trying to recruit talented artisans to set up shop in their kingdoms, because if they could entice these people to go there, you know, that gave them access to buying goods that could, you know, go toward an ostentatious display of their wealth, which we all know the monarch's really good at that. Um, But the monarchy recruited a community of weavers from what is now northern Belgium to set up shop in Wales. And when those people relocated, they brought the dogs they used to herd their cattle and their sheep with them. And those dogs are reportedly the ancestors of the modern-day corgi. And it comes as a surprise to many people, myself included, that corgis are originally a herding breed. And some even compete in herding trials right up there with the likes of other herding breeds like border collies. Um, From a veterinary standpoint, you know, um, corgis usually top out somewhere around 30 pounds if they're not overweight. Uh, They have short little legs and long backs, similar to dachshunds. And, you know, their hair is what I would describe as kind of like a mid-length. They're a little longer and fluffier than the truly short-haired dogs like chihuahuas, but definitely not as fluffy as some of the smaller breeds like miniature poodles. Um, And, you know, all dog breeds usually have some sort of predisposition toward different diseases. Um, Corgis can get some eye diseases and hip problems, but, um, you know, with their long backs, they're a little bit more at risk for disc disease as well. Um, In my personal experience, the few corgis that I do see, um, you know, have a tendency toward obesity. So, you know, you kind of got to watch that for health problems. But, you know, they uh, they seem to be relatively healthy little guys overall. So how did Queen Elizabeth come to love the breed? 
Well, you know, there's tons of information out there about Queen Elizabeth's history with her dogs. And most of what I was able to find out comes from articles posted by the British Broadcasting Corporation or the BBC. So according to them, her love affair with the breed began in 1933 when she was just a child and she'd gone to um, visit some friends of the family with her family and they had a corgi. And of course, like children everywhere, after meeting their corgi, she announced, I want one. <laughs> so We're not so different, so, the queen and I. <laughs> no, no, exactly. <laughs> I read that and I was like, yeah. <laughs> I've, I recall the same conversations from my own children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but soon after, her family um, adopted a puppy from a breeder who had a large pedigree name, but um, who they ended up calling Dookie. And the BBC reported that Dookie was something of a furry little tyrant who allegedly bit lots of visitors. <laughs> but that didn't stop the family from adopting more corgis who seemed to be at least a little better tempered. Uh-huh. Um 11 years later, um, uh, Queen Elizabeth started a lifelong friendship with a corgi named Susan, and the BBC reports that they were very, like, inseparable. And I guess Susan lived till she was 15, and she sort of became the matriarch at the head of the Queen's corgis. Um, She was the ancestor of 14 generations of royal corgis. So her descendants were the corgis we see in all the photos and news reports about Queen Elizabeth and her dogs. And I thought that was really cool. Oh my, that is really fascinating. She, She went on to make corgis of her own so what was it like to be a royal corgi this part is sounds like it would be fascinating (laughs) honestly i was like so impressed reading this it it reportedly was a pretty cushy job to be a canine friend (laughs) so i mean her dogs did not live in a kennel they lived with her in her apartments at the palace in buckingham palace they had a room of their own there Um, Each one reportedly had its own pillow-filled wicker basket to sleep in. Um, Wherever Queen Elizabeth went, so did her dogs. And she reportedly filled a stocking for each of them at Christmas time. According to the BBC, she even walked them every day herself until she was no longer physically able to do that. All of their meals were prepared in the royal kitchens by chefs. And she apparently never sold any of her puppies either. She either kept them herself or she gave them to friends or family. And, you know, one of the more interesting pieces of information I came across but didn't previously know is that not all of her corgis were purebred. In the 1970s, the Queen's sister, Princess Margaret, was visiting and there was a clandestine meeting between her dachshund Pipkin and a corgi named Tiny and the resulting litter of puppies were so enchanting to the royals that they dubbed them dorgies and the corgi dachshund (laughs) crossbreeds have been included in the queen's dog pack ever since. (laughs) Wow. Wow. You want to talk about living so nicely. I wonder how much at, at when it, when it started pushback she got from, you know, the advisors are, are you sure you want to do that? Have them live right in the, in the apartment. (laughs) I, I, I wonder how much of that happened. Um, and yet, what about the family? Other members of that royal family? Did they sh- do they share Queen Elizabeth's love of the corgis? Again, according to the BBC, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, Prince Philip, the Queen's late husband, was occasionally noted to grumble about them <laughs> and about how many there were. Uh, Princess Diana even reportedly reportedly described them once as a moving carpet. <laughs> 
Prince Charles, who is now King Charles, apparently owns Labs and Jack Russell Terriers. And interestingly, but maybe not surprisingly, the public became fans of the breed when the Queen's children were young. And while public interest in the breed kind of waned over time, it surged a bit again when the Netflix series The Crown was aired. And, I knew you know, it. Yeah. and I was kind of like, oh my goodness, of course it did. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was I was trying to think back to all the scenes, especially in the beginning where there were dogs and if it was made a, a, a big fuss about them. Um, but yeah, you know, there's always haters, right? So what's <laughs> going to happen to the Queen's dogs now that she's passed away? Well, according to the BBC again, um, Queen Elizabeth gave up breeding her dogs years ago. So her pets had dwindled to one dorgie, a cocker spaniel, and two corkies who were presents from her son in 2021. Um, So I guess Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson have announced they will care for the two corgis that they gave her. Um, It hasn't yet been announced who will take the other two dogs, so I'm not sure about them. Hmm. Well, Danielle, I had said something about hearing... When they were in the course media talking about everything, uh, there being a hundred horses there too. So I have to ask: Did Queen Elizabeth have a love for other animals as well? Well, you are right. Of course, the other animal that Queen Elizabeth was known for her love of was horses. Uh, She was apparently given her first pony by her grandfather, King George V, Mm. and she was an accomplished horseback rider. Uh, Believe it or not, but Queen Elizabeth apparently continued riding horses into her 90s, which is really something when you think about it. And she was also interested in raising, breeding and racing horses and got involved in the racing horse industry in the UK. Some of her racehorses apparently had hugely successful wins at the track over the years. And she was also known for helping to preserve some rare breeds of horses through breeding programs. Um, And those were, I think, Highland Ponies, Fell Ponies, and Cleveland Bays. Uh, Those Cleveland Bays are used to pull carriages and for riding. And having said that, of course, the the ceremonial horses we often see used at those formal and wedding processions by the British Royals actually aren't Cleveland, Cleveland Bays. They're a different breed called Windsor Grays. But you see them always, and the what is nice when you hear the influence that obviously the queen uh, would have, mm-hmm. and putting it to that kind of support and care, and and taking on that responsibility because what other advocate could could one have that's a has that pull or at least people's ear to listen. Well, and especially for something like horses, like horses are very expensive to keep and, you know, and to breed and to do all of that stuff. Right. So, I mean, really, when you think about it, you know, it would take a a patron of of some means in order to do that. So, you know, it's kind of um, neat that, you know, she would think to do that and and to uh, to help preserve some of these rare breeds, especially. Well, I'm marveled purely by just the amount of stuff she was into and and how much she really kept her uh, self busy. It's, it's fantastic that she was riding into her nineties. So why bring and dedication? This? Oh like yeah, the dedication she would have to with the busy schedule and everything to and making the demand mm-hmm. that no, they're going to be here and I'll have as many corgis as yeah. I want and these are the horses <laughs> and what I feel like this is this well, is my life love, too. But she took on lots of responsibility. Yes, through all that. Um, why bring this to us today, Danielle? Do you think that this is important, the connection that Queen Elizabeth had to animals? Well, you know, of course, there's always controversy over the monarchy with 
people on all sides of the debate over royals having an opinion. But, you know, regardless of all that, I think what really struck me, you know, reading about Queen Elizabeth and her pets was how we tend to forget that people who are in the public eye are human, just like the rest Mm. of us. And, you know, it was very humanizing to read that Queen Elizabeth bothered to fill a Christmas stocking for each of her dogs every year, you know, and that they lived with her in her private apartments, not in a kennel. I mean, you know, I just always assumed that with that many dogs, they would live in a kennel. What did I know? (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just goes to show you, you know, that that human animal bond is universal. You know, it, it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we do for a living. You know, anyone who loves an animal understands how important and how wonderful that bond could be. And, you know, to me, that was, that was really the take-home message about you know her and and her pets i thought that was amazing i love the thing about bonds is a lot of them just happen it's it's totally by accident and you never know you know a person could say yeah you know what i would never really want to have two dogs or or whatever and all of a sudden they've got a dozen you know what i mean in the right circumstances (laughs) if they have that I get that with cats, you know, people that say, I don't like cats, I will never have a cat, blah, blah, blah. And then they live with a cat for whatever reason, one falls into their life, yep. which cats have a habit of doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have never once in my life actually looked for a cat as a pet. They just find me when they need a home. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and they they really are surprised at how much, you know, fun that pets can be, you know, that they, they really do bring an element of, um, you know, this love and this bond and this companionship to your life that you know if you haven't had that before it it surprises some people yeah and the the challenges too you know different things that we highlight on these segments about what happens to a pet when uh its primary caregiver is gone or you know what happens financially all these different things Mm -hmm. we're talking royals but we're still talking about the same things right what's happening to her dogs now etc uh this is Amazing. Thank you so much for bringing this to us. And next week, we're covering uh, something a little more, um, I'd say, makes me a little bit more nervous pet poisoning. So you'll keep us informed <laughs> about that. A big switch. But, yeah. you know, we yeah. do have to cover some vet I stuff know. on the vet side. <laughs> some serious. I have to work sometimes. <laughs> Talk to you soon. Okay. Dr. Danielle Jonkind joining us for Ask a Veterinarian. Wow, always bringing really interesting stuff, no matter which way you look at it, folks. A lot of information, a lot of, uh, of important things just to share with us. Coming up next, nutritionist Julia Karanchis covers gut health and informs us about the difference between probiotics and uh, prebiotics in a moment.